Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that, uh, that you are here. I'm glad to be home. If you're watching online, welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. Uh, had a few days off, went to California and, and uh, got to see all the grandkids, took the grandkids that were here with us so we could have them all together. And then uh, my daughter and son-in-law, in Cal- when we were there, they said, would you mind if we took a day uh, and you guys watch the kids? And I said, please, take two, three. Yeah, so we had them all. It was a lot of fun, a uh, good time to relax and to uh, pick on grandkids because that's one of my favorite things to do in life. So I ha- had a lot of fun. And I- I'm glad uh, that-, that 2020 is over. But now that we've entered into 2021, we might want 2020 back. So, uh, different times, isn't it? But, but I, want, I want to assure you about one thing in the scripture. All scripture is true. I believe all of it. I believe it from Genesis all the way through the maps. I mean, I like it all. I believe it all. I trust it all. And I know one thing for sure, that Jesus Christ is still Lord and King. And we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I think I've heard that before. I want to talk to you today about repentance. Then you say, well, man, repentance, that sounds like uh, something that's really troubling. But in reality, what repentance is, is an about face. It's a 180. It's walking in one direction and realizing, whoops, I'm going in the wrong direction and turning around and walking the other direction. It's realizing that your thought process was completely wrong and you turned around and you started thinking a different way. It's about recognizing and realizing that you're walking in life in your own own wisdom and your own ways and your own thought and you realize at some point that you cannot save yourself and you turn around and you head toward the cross of Christ. Repentance is just simply a change and it's not just a a slight change. It's not just something that we gradually change, but it's an abrupt 180 degree turnaround in your life. Sometimes uh, when somebody struggles with, with drugs or alcohol or, or life situations, we, we always say they have to hit rock bottom before they realize they need to change. And sometimes you look at people and say, well, where's rock bottom for them? Because it would have been rock bottom for me a long time ago. But there is a truth to that, that when people get to that place where they realize that what they're doing and how they're living cannot satisfy change or make them what they want to be or fill the void in their life, that they realize that I cannot go on the way I've been going. That's when they change. So an alcoholic has to realize he has a problem before he can turn. And it's the same thing with, with us as Christians, that, that we need to realize that, that repentance is not just something that we enter into when we come to Christ. It's not just that, that thing that, that we do with, where we repent and we ask God to forgive us of our sins and, and, and forgive us of our own ways of thinking, and we begin to follow him. But repentance is a process 
in life. When the disciples asked Jesus uh, how to pray, he said, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those that have sinned against us. What Jesus was saying is, you need to have a self-examination every single time you enter into the presence of God and say, Lord, search my heart. Is there something in me? Is there a thought process in me? Is there a, is there a motive in me that is not pure? It's not correct. And when the Lord shows you, you have this glorious opportunity to renounce it and to walk toward him. Isn't that amazing? He not, only, he not only forgives us, but he shows us what's wrong, encourages us to change, and then when we change, he gives us the power to change, and then he blesses us for following him. I mean, it's amazing. So I want to talk to you a little bit about, about change. I want to talk to you about repentance. I want to talk to you about the things that are going on in our world today and how we, God's people, can make a difference. Uh, I think I've told you a little bit about Jefferson, Texas. I don't know if I haven't. Um, I'm going to tell you again if you've heard it. Just pretend like you haven't because it's, it really does better for my ego that way. Uh, but Jefferson, Texas is in, is in the uh, eastern part of, of the state around the swamplands, and there, there's a nice river. And it was founded around 1840. And by 1870, it was the uh, transport and, and for, for the state of Texas. Everything went through Jefferson, Texas. All, uh, in fact, there was only one other port city that was bigger than, than Jefferson, Texas. Everything else... Uh, it, it was the distribution place for everything. All the cotton, every, all the product coming from the east went through Jefferson, Texas because it was right there on the river. The barges could come up, they could unload, and then they could ship it west. It was just an amazing place, a booming city. But then in, in 1870-something happened. There was a natural change. So there was a natural dam that was just a couple of miles upriver. And somebody had the great idea that if we break up this dam, then we'll be able to get more boats on the river because it's going to widen out. So they broke up the natural dam. And when they did, something unforeseen happened. The water spread out, but it became shallower. And it became difficult for all the boats to navigate the river. It was a, it was a natural event, and, and the founding fathers and the fathers of the city had a choice to make. Do we stay with the river, and do we try to uh, dredge it and try to make it deeper to, to navigate all the ships coming and going, or do we try to really push and push hard to get this new mode of transportation called the railroad? And the founding fathers made a bad mistake. They said, I think I'm going to put more effort into the river, what we've always done, than, than this new mode of transportation, which may or may not be successful. So they, 
They kind of went for the railroad, but they didn't push hard. But there was a town just west of them, about 70, 75 miles, that really pushed hard. It was a little cattle town, small town, insignificant town. And they were the ones that were able to get the railroad going right through that. And now we know that it's Dallas and Fort Worth. See, Jefferson, Texas realized that, that, that they had a situation. They had a, an event that had happened in, the, in, in life, a natural event with that natural dam. But then they had a choice. Do we try to stay with what's always been or what we've always known, or do we launch out into something else? And they chose to stay with the status quo. Now, if you go to Jefferson, Texas, it's a little under 2,000 people. And people still go there, not for commerce or not for business, but for nostalgia, to look back at what once was. It's kind of like when you go to Europe and you go through Paris and in, uh, in France, and then you look around and all the, all the little towns in France, the, the biggest building in, in the city, in the center of the city, was always the church. And the, and, and the church was the center of every little city. But now when you go, you go to just look at them because they're not valid, not important. They're not the hub of the city anymore. People go to look and they say, look at the magnificent structure and look at all the architect and all the brilliant uh, achievement. And yet, it's not a place to meet God. I find that, I find that sad. Uh, but, and I look at, at America today and I, I believe that America is having one of those crossroads in our, in our life. I look at 2020 and, and we had all of those riots that were going on throughout the year. And, and it just seemed like America was being torn apart. And, and it seemed to be on one side of the political aisle that was agreeing with it and one side was not. And, and I would have to say that, that when you have things like riots and stuff, and then like this last week when you had people coming into Congress and... and, and and ransacking, and it, it was, it's horrid. And one side being blamed for one event, and one, another side being blamed for another event, and you have to realize it's a fringe on each side. But it's, it's division, it, it's, it's tearing apart the very fabric of, of our country. And it's, and it's been going on for quite some time. You can't say, well, well it just happened in 2020. These are actions or reactions to the, to the decisions that our country has made for decades. Our country chose to go down the road it's going. It chose to allow pornography. It chose to allow um, homosexuality to be, to, to be the norm. It chose all the sinful things that God has said don't do if you're a holy, righteous nation. And we have made the unjust just. And now we're reaping 
the results. I want to speak to the church for a moment, not just this church, but the church in America. The church in America has a choice, and and you can continue to believe that a man can lead you to peace, or you can continue to believe that a political party can lead you to peace, but if you continue down that road, it will never give you the results you're looking for. I understand that, that... Many feel disenfranchised, and I, and I, and I understand that, that everybody has an opinion on these things, but, but when it comes to Christianity and it comes to this country, the church needs to realize that first and foremost, even though you're supposed to be a good citizen, and I pride myself on being a good citizen, I vote, I, I follow the law, I do everything that I can, but first and foremost before anything in this world. I am a child of God and I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You have to get to the place that if you're, if you're leaning toward a person to, to lead you to the promised land, you'll never make it because man cannot get this nation where this nation needs to go. A political party cannot get this nation where this nation needs to go. And you say, well, well, which party do you think is right? I'm gonna tell you right now, I think they're all corrupt and I think they're all sinful and I think they need to repent. This is as close to political as I'm ever going to get. I'm more of an apolitical person, but I am I, just tired of seeing God's people post things and, and, and say things and do things, and, and it lets me know that their voice, their focus is on the things of this world and not on the kingdom of heaven. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. I'm not saying don't have a voice. But I, what I am encouraging you to do as God's people is to realize that first beyond all things that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and we live by the kingdom's rules which is to love God with everything in you and to love your neighbor as yourself. When we decide to do that, God, God himself, when he's speaking to, to Solomon, he said, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, what he was saying is you need to repent and turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, and then I will heal your land. If you really want America to be prosperous, if you really want your country to succeed, if you really want to see righteousness instilled in this country, it's not gonna happen through Washington, D.C. It's not gonna happen through Tallahassee. It's not gonna happen through any political arena. It's when God's people get on their knees and say, God, this nation needs you. You are the ones that have the power. You are the ones that have authority. You are the ones. It's the church of the living God that has more power, more authority than any other power in this world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
But it's the adversary's job to get our minds focused on the things of this world. And it's time for the church, God's people, to quit focusing on Babylon and focus on the bishop of their souls. It's time to be about the Father's business. You say, well, doesn't the, the things that's happening around you hurt you or, 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 make, or cause you to think? Yes, yes, it does. It bothers me greatly. I mean, it breaks my heart to see our nation in decline. It, it breaks my heart. But what really, what really gets me more than anything is to see God's people squabbling and bickering and fighting with one another over things that are going to perish. And yet, the church remains forever. I, I, I have a word for those that are just so focused on the things of this world that, and, and, want, and, and trying to get your, your, your person in, in in a position of power so you can have influence. If you think and you continue to go down that road where, where you think that God is, can only work through that arena, when the adversary, the Antichrist rises, you will be deceived. Because he's going to try to offer everything you're looking for through the, through the, the world and how the world exists. So God's people... God's people, you and I, we have a choice today. Whether you're here, you're online, I need you to, to really look at yourself and make a choice. Are you going to follow man or are you going to follow God? If you really want to see change, it's in God alone. God alone. It's not the ballot box, but it's the prayer closet. Psalm, Psalm 126 is a powerful psalm. It was written after Israel had been taken away captive and then brought back and the, and the temple was rebuilt. And it was a song, it's a song of ascent. That simply means that they, when they would go to the temple in Jerusalem and as they were as they were going to the temple, they would sing different songs. And, and these songs, this is actually a song like the ones we sang today. Uh, but they were there to remind people of why they were going to the temple. Why they were going to meet with God. And this one, after the temple had been restored. And, and, and I want you to look at this. We may stay on this for a couple of, of uh, Sundays. But he said, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. He's referring to when God brought Israel back out of, out of captivity. And here's the first point I want you to see. It's the Lord that restores fortune. It's the Lord that brings back from captivity. 
It's not man, it's not wealth, it's not intellect, it's not power, it's not strength, it's not might, but it's God alone that raises nations and brings nations low. It is God alone that changes the course and the destiny of a nation. It's God alone through his people that will change this nation. And until you and I get to that place that we realize that it's God and God alone. So you're saying, don't be involved? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is as you work, as you're involved, as you're focused, make sure that your focus is a kingdom mindset, that you have your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith, that you're looking unto him who has redeemed you, who has purchased you, who has set you free. You understand that the scripture says for us to to pray for those that are in leadership, not to pray for those we like, but to pray for leadership that we can live a quiet and peaceful life, that we can do the, the work that Christ has called called us to do. Keep your mind and your focus on him. Everything else, where the scripture says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any generation. If you really want to see this nation rise, then we need to deal with the issue of sin and realize that righteousness exalts the nation, and it starts in the house of God. Isaiah 45, 22 says this, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. We started our, our Congress on Tuesday with a prayer that seemed okay until it got to the end where he talked about the one God that was existent in all religions. In other words, and and this is from a, a congressperson. This is from a person that says that he is a Methodist pastor. And you say, well, are you calling him out? Yes, I am. You need to realize that the God of of Christianity is not the God of Buddha. It's not the God of Hindu. It's not any other God of this world. There is only one God, and he is manifest to man in the man Jesus Christ. And he is the only way to be saved. It's important to understand, and you say, well, do you, do you have animosity or hatred toward other people? Absolutely not. I love everybody. I, I love everybody in this world, and I want everybody to be saved. But just because I want to make it easy on people doesn't change the word of God, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. I have to understand that. I have to 
come to grips with that. And I have to realize that if I have a kingdom mindset, I'm not going to put all of my energy into who's running for president or who's in that office, but I'm going to put my energy on the on that one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm going to try to get as many people to join me as I can. Man, if God's people would realize and repent and change their mindset and get off of the political arena of this world and get their mindset on the kingdom of God, when we get our mind on the kingdom of God, when God's people begin to move, great things happen. I'm trying. It's the Lord that establishes nations. It's him alone. He's the one that raises them up. He's the one that brings them low. I want you to look at one other thing in this passage. He says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Don't you like the word we? I mean, I, I do that here sometimes at the church, and somebody asks me, can you do that? And I say, yeah, we can do that. And what I really mean by we, I mean Sam. Um, <laughs> Sam can do that. But there's an importance in this we. The generation, this, this songwriter, this author of this, of this song was not around when the temple was rebuilt. And yet he's looking back to the former generations and connecting with them and saying, we were like those who dreamed. It's important to understand where you came from. Because if you understand where you came from, you can make decisions on where you're going. We, we live in a time where, where, where people are, are saying a cancel culture. And they're trying to eradicate anybody or anything that was wrong in our country and just remit it and remove it from history. And my friends, if you do that, that you're going to take the good and the bad and you're never going to know where you came from. And you'll end up going back where you came. It's just wrong one thing I do like about Europe is, is they have statues and monuments of people they hate they kept them all people they like, people they don't like they kept them all, why would they do that because every once in a while you need to have a reminder uh, I don't want to be like that It's important to understand your history, to understand. And, and here's something else about history while I'm on it, and this is not in the notes, so this is free. Uh, you have to keep in mind that children, the people are a children of their times. It's, it's erroneous, it's false, it's a mistake to feel that you're morally superior by judging people of a, of a different generation based on the knowledge you have versus the knowledge they had. When the church begins to do that, 
we will fall into ruin. When a nation begins to do that, it will fall into ruin. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I'll say it as many times as I, as I need to say it. We can look back at our, at our founding fathers and we can point a finger at them and say, oh, but they, they believe this and, they, and, and we omit any good that they did by the, by the things that they held to and, and, and we can critique them. And, and, and to be honest, we're, we're being morally pious in saying we're going to cancel them because they don't agree to everything that, that we understand now. And yet, at the same time, we live in a nation that is willing to abort babies, uh, millions and millions of lives that have been lost just because we don't want them. And what will future generations, if God doesn't tarry, if God tarries, what will future generations look at us and say they murdered innocent children? So before you cancel out those that weren't perfect, you need to look at yourself and say, we're not perfect either. And it's not about those that in behind us that were, that were imperfect, but it's about looking at ourselves as well and say, we are failed human beings. We have a sinful nature and we need to repent and walk toward the one that's perfect, the one that's holy, the one that's true, the one that's righteous. And as we keep our eyes on him, that's when this nation will change. Our own moral purity will never get us there. But we have to have an affinity with the past generations. We are together in this. We're the product of the past generation's decisions, good and bad. We share in the victories and we agonize with the defeats. We embrace the right choices and we will lament for the wrong choices. But it can't, we can't wipe them away. I don't want to wipe them away. I want to look at them. I want to look at the right choices. I want to look at the bad choices and, and, and the bad ones I want to, to lament over and say, we will never do that again. Israel's past. I, I love how Israel looks at the past in our day and time, we just kind of like live this one generation, then it goes off the scene, we kick them off, and we're the only ones on the platform. You know, we get the limelight. Israel's a little different. Throughout the history, when, when Israel, when you look at even the Apostle Paul or the other writers of the New Testament, they always refer to the older writings. They always go back to Abraham, and they always, because when Abraham was on the scene, and he was front and center, when he had the limelight, he lived for God. But when his life was over, he didn't move off the scene. He became part of the backdrop. In every generation in Scripture, as they lived and as they died, they weren't forgotten. They just became part of the background of the backdrop. I think one of the things that we do that is wrong is we forget 
our history. We forget those former generations. And I do believe that if we keep all the generations and all the good points and all the bad points as a backdrop, then we will be able to make better choices. But today, here we are, and we are the ones in the spotlight. We're the ones that get to make the choices. This life is going to pass, and we'll be off the scene. We'll be part of the backdrop. So right now, today, this is the time that we get to make a difference. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back. The writer of Hebrews gave a great oratory on serving God on walking away from their former life and walking toward him. Listen to what the writer says in Hebrews 12, 1. It says, therefore, I love the word therefore. It means considering all the things I just said, therefore, do this. If you really want to know what the therefore is, read chapter 11. It will tell you what the therefore is in chapter 12. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what witnesses are we talking about? We're talking about all those former generations, those that lived by faith, those that trusted in God, perfect in passion, imperfect in life. He said, seeing we're surrounded by such this great cloud of witnesses, let's strip away everything that hinders us and let's run with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Would you stand with me? Today, Today, we are on the stage of life. All the former generations of the church are behind us. They're encouraging us. They're part of the backdrop. We can look back and we can see the Apostle Paul. We can see Apostle Peter. We can see all of the, the church fathers. And we can see all of those through the generations that have trusted in the Lord but are no longer with us. I can tell you one thing that they all possessed. Well, rather, two things they all possessed. They all possessed an imperfect life. Because there's never been a person outside of Christ that was perfect. But something else they had, something else they possessed, was Christ in their life. That they had been forgiven, they had been pardoned, and they had a passion to make a difference in their world where they lived in their life. And you and I have that great opportunity today. I can't change and you can't change what's going on in the world around us 
on a full scale. But we can make a difference right here, right now, where we are with the people around us. And we can do what God has asked us to do, that we can get on our knees and we can say, God, spare this nation. God, spare these people. God, we have sinned and we acknowledge our sin. And if I do that and you do that, and then then the multitudes begin to do that, and this nation begins to turn to God and turn away from the wickedness, that's when a revival will hit that will transform this nation and you will see the glory of God. It's only going to come through this one way. It's when God's people call on Him. Can we go to Him?